Good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to those who are here for intensives. We're so delighted that you're on our campus, and thank you for being part of our community. The text today is certainly one of the most familiar texts in the Bible. In fact, it's almost a truism in Christian circles that we should be salt and light in the world. One of the difficulties with a passage like this is that we never stop to think that maybe we never actually read the text and what it actually says. Um, this text uh, is so referred to in our kind of Christian lingo, uh, almost cliché-ous, that it actually makes us stop and wonder, well, how is this text used? And if you think about it, let's take salt, for example. Uh, salt is almost always applied to the Christian uh, in this, based on this text, that we're to be the salt of the earth, and there are innumerable metaphorical ways we apply that to our lives. For example, we say that we're the salt of the earth, meaning that perhaps we are a preservative, and so therefore Christians are a preservative force in a society that's on the road to decay. We get that, I'm sure that's true. We often say that, uh, in fact Wesley said this in his notes to the New Testament, that we are uh, essentially a spice. Uh, we are a way of accenting life. And so wherever Christians show up in society, it's an accent. It's a, it should be noticed. It should make a difference. We think that's also a great application of the word salt. Uh, salt was used uh, in the ancient world for money. In fact, the word uh, salary comes from the, the same root word for salt. Salt form of payment. So you could say we are, you might say, a reward to society. We are like a a bonus that comes along when you ever you walk into the room. Here comes a Christian. We just got a bonus. Um, salt was used uh, to, to burn manure. I have no idea how that might apply, but I'm sure a very creative preacher, especially in what we're dealing with today, could say how salt could burn away manure, uh, metaphorically, in the life of the church. The question is, is that what Jesus is saying in this text? I mean, this, I only have 10 minutes, by the way. I have 10 minutes to dispel your entire lifetime of thinking on this text. <laughs> but I really wonder if, in fact, Jesus is making a very a different kind of point that maybe we haven't noticed because we just assume the text is about what we've always heard it's about. By the way, all those applications are very helpful, and I think they're actually very true. But the question is, is that what Jesus is teaching us in this text? Uh, and actually, he uses the, the salt that has uh, lost its saltiness, we'll come back to that, in a house uh, or a city on a hill that you don't really want anybody to see. That's a crazy thing. Or a, uh, a light that you light and then put a bushel or a cover over it. These are all strange things that all relate to simply to make one point. Perhaps he could have been talking about, just as well, pepper that wasn't spicy, fire that wasn't hot, water that wasn't wet. You see, the text might take us into a different direction. The reason I think the traditional kind of assumption of this text is wrong, there's actually I have a list of reasons, but I only have time for two of them because of our time. Um, first of all, it, it's impossible to determine what that metaphorical image might be because Jesus never says that it's about being spicy or being seasoning or being preservative or whatever. And secondly, he, clearly it seems that though salt and light have little in common, they're both used to make a single point. It's like the Hebrew poetry. These are 
thought rhyming going on, not sound rhyming, thought rhymes that are happening in this passage that are very, very important. It's this image of unsalty salt or saltless salt. It's a silly idea. A lamp that you, you take it, you buy a light bulb from Lowe's and you come home and you also buy duct tape. Everybody has to have duct tape for everything, right? You get your duct tape and you take your duct tape and you put it around your light bulb. It's a silly idea. Why would you do that? Because that's not the purpose of a light bulb. See, Jesus seems to be pointing out more about the silliness of something. A foolish idea. It's foolish to build a city on a hill and hope no one sees it. It's a foolish idea to light a lamp and then cover it up. And it's a totally crazy idea to think that salt can become unsalty. What is the principle here? I think Jesus uh, is actually quoting a proverb that was very, very uh, popular in his day about saltless salt. We'll come to that in a minute. But you, you have to understand, one of the things that we miss about the ancient world is that it was actually a very fun place. You know, with all of the trauma and difficulty of life, which we, we rehearse a lot, and kind of the sobriety of the biblical text, and we approach the first century, we forget what it's like to actually inhabit it, and that they actually are very funny. The Jews love to have fun. They love to tell jokes. It's a very joking culture. If you haven't read some of the, uh, the ways the Jews dealt with the oral tradition in the Mishnah and the Tosefta, you miss some of the great jokes. But, you know, it's mostly insider jokes. Uh, I had the privilege of growing up in a Jewish neighborhood uh, in Atlanta. I was, uh, I was known as the, the Goy. Okay, the Goy is the, you know, the, the Gentile guy, all right? Uh, and everything was couched with, with joking. In fact, it's interesting how you know, the whole, uh, they spoke uh, Yinglish there. Y English is the mixture of Yiddish and English. And it came to everything. I just thought that everyone used words like klutz and schmooze somebody and the spiel and a shtick and, uh, oh yeah, he's got chutzpah. All of that was just like, I thought, normal English words uh, that they were just used all the time. But the funny thing, one of the jokes that we had was that in English class, we finally learned what a declarative sentence was. The joke was, wow, we had never heard one before. Because in that community, everything is a question. You would never say, that's a nice restaurant. You would say, uh, I, that's, a, that's a great restaurant, isn't it? Or if somebody, if you didn't trust somebody, you'd never say, you know, uh, I don't trust that man. You'd say, wow. If his words were a bridge, I wouldn't cross it, or whatever. You wouldn't cross it, would you? It's always questions. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a very, very funny culture. So the ancient world had a joke that went around. I'm going to tell you the joke in the first century. And Jesus, if you ever look in the whole use of, Jesus' use of, um, of wisdom literature, it's phenomenal. Jesus was very enriched and, and very much aware of kind of the wisdom culture of his day, always quoting Proverbs like, Physician, heal thyself, other texts like that. There was a joke that was going around in the ancient world at the time of Christ that went like this. The rabbi said, how do you make saltless salt salty again? Okay, everybody knew the joke, all right? So Jesus is definitely making a reference here. How do you make saltless salt salty again? Are you ready for the answer? It's a side splitter. It's a side splitter, let me tell you. How do you make saltless salt salty again? The answer was, you salt it with the afterbirth of a mule. 
Two of you laughed. Two of you laughed. Okay, the point being, a mule is sterile. A mule does not give birth. There is no such thing as the afterbirth of a mule. How do you make saltless salt salty again? You salt it with an afterbirth of a mule. Please laugh. Yeah, there you go. You got it. All right, the whole idea. This is a stupid idea. I mean, to, to, if I can quote Craig Keener here on this uh, ancient proverb, this is the first century equivalent of if you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer. The uh, NaCl is one of the most stable compounds on the planet. Salt cannot become unsalty. That, salt is what salt is. I mean, it's true that there's salt that is not as tasteful because it's, it's got mixture in it of other elements, but salt itself, if you have salt, it is salty. If salt becomes unsalty, you can't use salt to make unsalty salt, salty. The whole thing is crazy. Jesus is talking about a foolish idea. And if you read this in the original language, you really get it. Because when he says in our text, but if the salt loses its saltiness, and the, and the phrase there in the Greek or the English loses its saltiness, that's one word in the Greek. There's no word in the Greek that translates loses its saltiness. All right, there's no such word as that. The word that's actually used there in the text is the word moranthe. Moranthe means foolish. All right, this is foolish salt. If any, the idea of saltless salt is a foolish idea. The idea of putting a city on a hill and hope no one sees it is a foolish idea. The idea of hiding a lamp that you just lit is a foolish idea. So the whole point of this is that if, how should, why would you want to deny the very essence of what something is? Now, if this was just about salt and a funny first century joke that was encircling around, we could all just laugh about it. But he's talking about us. What does it mean in your identity as a Christian in the world? And he's saying that it's a foolish thing for a Christian to not live like a Christian. That's not what you are. We are to live out the essence of who we are and what we are. Foolish salt is tasteless salt. It's a, it's a crazy idea. The foolishness of not being what you really are denying your essential nature. It's a foolish thing for to be called a disciple and not really want to learn. It's a foolish thing to be a follower of Christ, but you really don't want to follow. It's a foolish thing to be called a believer, but you just don't really believe. You see, the whole point is that he is saying for us as Christians, to be the essence of what we are. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection, ascension of Christ, you have been declared to be His. You have been changed. You've been transformed. It's not a theory. It's an act. In the Wesleyan worldview, it's not just something, you know, an alien. It's that which God imputes and imparts in you. We become Christians. We become those in Christ. We actually believe that you, yes, you, have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yes, you have been raised with Christ. Yes, you are now in Christ. You're no longer in Adam. You're in Christ. 
You see, this is the great declaration. This is Paul's whole you know, indicative imperative construction where Paul commands us to be things because we are them. You know, you are to be holy because you are holy. You've been declared holy. You're to be a Christian because you are a Christian. That's what Paul is saying, what Christ is saying in this passage. Don't be a foolish Christian. That silly idea like saltless salt. There's no such thing as saltless salt. There's no such thing as a Christian. There should be no such thing as a Christian who doesn't believe. A Christian who doesn't live a transformed life. A Christian who doesn't manifest the essence of what has happened to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. You could have talked about a bucket that doesn't hold water, an apple tree that doesn't grow apples, anything. Lord, help us not to be foolish like that. Help us to be useful in your hands, to be your instruments of grace and mercy and redemption in a world where you've called us to be your presence, your life in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.